Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsipornchai. Well, brother, it's good to be back with you uh, another week always and enjoy these times. And um, by the way, people seem to be really liking the YouTube channel, um, which is strange for me because <laughs> personally, uh, I hate YouTube. Um, I don't have time to watch it. I don't have time to watch an hour video. Oh. And um, but any anyway, I know there are a lot of guys who prefer the video. And, and so we've gotten some really good feedback so if you have are listening and and you've been watching the youtube channel um and, and you've appreciated uh that medium more than maybe just the audio we'd love for you to continue sharing that around and some of you have given some uh, some good comments uh keep those coming we really just um we often share messages back and forth uh, when we get testimonies and i know it's encouraging to you it's certainly encouraging yeah. to me um and I, I know it's encouraging even just for my wife to to know that God is is graciously using time away from uh, away from her and you know and all in the yeah. preparation things like that. So uh, we we love to see that. Well, today uh, we've got a really good topic, and it's a topic that uh, will need to be brought up from time to time until Christ returns, and that's the topic. Uh, really a forgiveness, but specifically on holding grudges, yeah. uh, holding holding grudges. Um, you know, the question is, is holding a grudge sinful, right? Mm. Um, and, and I think there, I, I've been reading around and there are some folks who don't necessarily believe that it is sinful. Uh, in fact, there are some Christian folks, some of whom I know to be otherwise pretty solid people who would believe that unless someone specifically asks for forgiveness, that yeah, you don't right. have to forgive that person, right? And so we'll kind of talk about those things during during this podcast. And uh, we'll um, well let's let's first start by giving a, a, a dictionary definition, just kind of yeah. a working definition. So what is a grudge? Well, the Oxford Dictionary says it's a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment mm. resulting from a past insult or injury. Um, and I would agree with that definition, but I would tweak yeah. it just slightly. Um, I, I would add uh, a persistent feeling of ill will or resentment resulting from a past insult or perceived past insult. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Because very often, right, we yeah. uh, have animosity or hold grudges, uh, and and this just ends up being a misunderstanding, right? Yeah, the uh, the whole topic of of holding grudges, um, I, I think the best way to look at it is really just compare it to what we're called to in terms of our Christian character and conduct. Um, and, and so holding grudges, uh, you know, it, it does tie into forgiveness. I think it can be actually more broad than that. Um, it, it can be um, almost any reason for someone to um, express some sort of partiality or, or um, harbor resentment or ill will towards um, towards another person. Um, but yeah, it's in short, I, I don't believe it's a, a Christian like uh, it's not a fruit of the spirit. And um, and and if we feel that we're um, we're holding a grudge against someone, we're essentially harboring bitterness in our heart. 
And when there's bitterness in our heart, uh, the fruit of the Spirit um, is not going to flourish. You know, Jonathan Edwards said that the root of grudges are envy, contempt, and resentment. Mm. Um, and uh, it, it was, I don't remember the sermon, uh, but it was a sermon on prayer, I think. Um, and those were the the three roots that he gave, envy, contempt, and resentment, um, which, which I think are, I mean, really just kind of nail it. Um, if you think of the broader scope, uh, scope of, of what a grudge looks like, and we'll talk about li- uh, like that. We'll give a few examples of what a grudge are, but, um, what, what are some ways that you see are prominent just in our society in general? Because instantly we can think of a few major movements and changes over the last few years that really embody what it looks like to have a grudge. Yeah, well, I mean, large groups of people, um, you know, certainly the, the the racist kind of culture that that we have today, um, bearing a grudge over past uh, past transgressions, um, especially from uh, you know the whole white supremacy, white privilege, the you know that this movement of um, of of painting everyone into a racist corner if they're not specifically an anti-racist. Um, I think that those are very obvious forms of holding a grudge, and and the the oddity of that is that. You know, here in California, in the city of San Francisco, they had passed a law. I think they passed it. I'm not sure how they're going to carry this out, but they're going to pay, uh, I think it's $5 million um, to each uh, black American person in uh, San Francisco. They did pass which is, that? Or that I think, I think they it? did. I, I, there were, if they haven't passed it, they're, they're very close to. It's got a lot of yeah. traction. Uh, but I, I'm pretty sure of course it I, does. Yeah, I, I think I think they did pass it. And then the question is, how are they going to do this? Right. I mean, it's a uh, you know, even if it's not passed and and they're talking about how they're going to do this, it was an arbitrary number. And, and you're talking about um, payments to oh. people who were never made into slaves in a state where there were never slaveholders. Right. So it, this is a form of of um, what we see holding a grudge and on a massive scale. That doesn't even make yeah. sense. And, and so I, I like yeah. that you, you know, you added the word perceived um, because in this case, it's not even actual, right? It's, um, you know, so I, I think we we see a lot of that um, today. But I, I think in a personal scale, you know, it's it's usually just as you mentioned, it's someone who has wronged us in the past. It's someone who has said something that, uh, you know, maybe we don't agree with their views. We don't like the way they treat um, certain people or groups of people. We don't like the, the you know, the things that they believe and and we use that as a reason to kind of hold a grudge uh, against them to to be kind of bitter against them. You know, I think everyone can relate to that and especially in matters of forgiveness. You know, we know we're called to forgive our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, but sometimes uh, it can be very difficult. It's easy to say I forgive you, it's another thing to actually forgive that person and yeah. what usually ends up happening uh, I mean a lot of cases that people will carry that grudge against against them and it plays out in just um, ungracious behavior. Um, not uh, not thinking the best of them, um, even being tempted into gossip and slander um, over that individual. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a that's a good point. So let's just talk about some of the the, the ways it plays out because I think sometimes people may not be aware that they're holding yeah. grudges, right? And they think, okay, well, no, I'm not really holding grudge. But um, I mean, there there's a, a a huge list, so we can't hit all the things, but just. I think some common things that you've already brought up, uh, dwelling on the past, right? Just kind of replaying. If, you, if you're replaying the scenarios yeah, of w- yeah. whatever happened to you, um, kind of over and over, you know, throughout the weeks, throughout the months, um, that's probably a good indication that you're holding a grudge against someone, uh, bringing up past wrongs, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Um, you know, seeking revenge or retribution, which which we just talked about in our culture is a whole culture of holding a grudge. But it's weird because it's not a real one. Right. Yeah. It's not even something yeah. that's happened to them or anyone they've ever known in their lifetime. Yeah. Um, you, you know, another interesting, interesting one that I've seen um, throughout counseling people in my ministry is avoiding people. Avoiding yeah. people specifically can be a good sign that you may be holding a grudge. Um, and, yeah, and of we, course, we, yeah, go ahead. We, we've got to, we got to examine our hearts, right? I mean, whenever uh, we start to respond in certain ways to certain people, uh, maybe sometimes it's not a grudge. Maybe just sometimes we're, we're just uncomfortable with individuals and, and, uh, and, and maybe we recognize that they have a grudge against us, right? And, uh, and so we might avoid people for that reason. Um, whatever it is, examine your heart, um, because if it is a grudge, I, I think yeah. you brought up a good point that a lot of times a grudge is really just living in the past. It's um, it's dwelling upon past transgressions against you. And let me say this to all of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. I say this uh, with all love. Um, you're not that important. All right. Um, if, if you've been wronged in the past, this includes me. You've been wronged in the past, get over yourself. Because seriously, no one was wronged more than our Lord Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And when you look at great examples of, of missionaries, like when we think of Elizabeth Elizabeth Elliot, right? What she went through when, when her husband, Jim Elliot, uh, was killed. And then she went right back into that tribe and ministered the gospel to them. I mean, that's, you, you know, you don't do that if you hold a grudge, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and at the end, yeah. um, the the actual... People that um, that had killed uh, Jim Elliot ended up coming to faith, uh, right? And so, incredible story. And uh, and and I've heard stories of missionary couples where um, their daughter was ready to go to college, and so they drive back to the city to bring them to a Christian college. And on the trip, um, major car accident. The daughter is killed in the car accident, um, and uh, the daughter had a friend that was also in the car, but the friend survived. And this friend was an unbeliever. Um, but the friend came along, the, the daughter survived, and and, and the couple, um, while grieved in their heart that they lost their daughter, were they were able to pray thanksgiving to God that they took the, the young girl who knew the Lord and spared the one who did not, right? And and that can't, yeah. you know, those yeah. prayers and, and those kinds of attitudes don't happen mm-hmm. when we have resentment in, my, in our heart. When Jesus Christ was on the cross and he said, forgive them, they know not what they do. He can't say that if he has resentment uh, or is bearing a grudge in his heart. The deacon Stephen, when he's being stoned to death, what does he say? He says, "He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against him. And, and amazingly, that prayer request is answered uh, most prominently in the Apostle Paul, right? Um, I, I would have loved to have seen the scene in heaven when they were first reunited. Um, but again, the deacon Stephen being stoned to death, he doesn't lift up that prayer if, if he's bearing a grudge against those who are actually you know, casting, uh, casting stones at him and, and stoning him to death. Um, so we, we look at Christian character, we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, and we follow after his example and recognize that what happens in our heart as we bear a grudge, it doesn't lead us to greater Christ-likeness. It just leads us to living in the past rather than focusing upon what God and, and our Lord Jesus Christ has called us to. Yeah, John Stott has a really good um thought on holding grudges he said every time we allow our mind to harbor a grudge nurse a grievance entertain an impure fantasy or wallow in self-pity we are sowing to the flesh yeah. and, and and it's a and it's a good quote uh thinking about just uh uh steven because 
I mean, the, the only way you could pray that prayer while being stoned to death is that yeah. you're heavenly minded and not yeah. sowing to the flesh. Yeah. Um, you know, Elliot's story. If and if, and if you're unfamiliar with that missionary story, there's a movie called The End of the Spear. I think yep, that's what that's it's right. called. Yep. Get that. Watch it. Um, I, I mean, because really, it embodies um, just the 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 heart of not holding real sin uh, yeah. against a group of people who murdered right. your family. Yeah. Um, yeah. And 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 you know what's really interesting about that story is. Um, one of the men in that tribe, and I'm sure you know this, um, yeah. it, for a while was going around uh, evangelizing and just talking about the story. I don't know if he's still living now or not, mm-hmm. um, but just incredible because the the very people who killed these missionaries, uh, there yeah. were salvations uh, yep. from that. And, and he went around um, talking about it. And I, I mean, just such an incredible story and the worldly view yeah. is you know how could you ever do that how can you embrace someone uh like that but right. we're called to be heavenly minded not worldly minded we've got to think differently than the world thinks um and this is a really hard area i mean if we're honest right when we're legitimately wronged it's yeah. hard to to forgive and and dismiss that but that's what we're called to do Yes. And to go back to your earlier statement, I think that's why it's important to realize that, I mean, you're just really not all that, right? Yeah, um, you're not. You're not that important. Yeah, and 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 I think also understanding that in reality, no one has ever wronged us to the degree of what we really deserve for our own yeah, wickedness. Right. Right. It, that's hard. That's a hard statement. I don't like to think I deserve worse than what I've gotten in this life. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that way. I'll never be a real victim, right? Uh, because the consequences of my own sin would demand even something far worse. Yeah. Now it's not to say people aren't <laughs> really aren't real victims of, of things, but we just need to put all that in in biblical biblical perspective. So all of these kind of things can be demonstrative of holding grudges. Um, I, I mean, and so let's go to the the scripture. So here, here's yeah. the question. You know, someone comes to you, Eki, and they say, well, this brother, this sister, they've been gossiping about me. They've been mm-hmm. spreading untruths on social media about me. Um, they slighted me in church on Sunday morning, whatever, whatever the case is, and they're not repentant. I mean, they aren't asking for forgiveness. Uh, they don't seem to even be thinking about what they did. And yeah. I'm just really upset about that. And and how can I let that go? Should I let that go? I mean, shouldn't they have to be repentant? Yeah, God doesn't forgive us unless we're repentant, right? Right, right, and right. So, how, how can I forgive that person? What do you say? Well, you know, that? yeah. I mean, I, I think first we we want to confront those sins, especially if it's a fellow brother or sister in Christ, right? We want to be able to confront it, point out their error, or or have someone else who knows them point out uh, the error as they see it, which oftentimes good brothers and sisters in Christ will do. Um, but if they refuse to repent, I mean, that's you know, that's where one I go and pray to God. Uh, I God, I pray that you give them repentance, that you would help them to see their error. Um, but there, there's also, even if they're, the transaction of forgiveness cannot happen, which it can't in this case, if you see it as a transaction where one person has to ask for forgiveness and the other one provides it, there is an attitude of forgiveness um, that should mm-hmm. be with everyone who's been wronged. 
Because if you don't have the attitude of forgiveness, you're going to harbor bitterness. And and again, Jesus Christ on the cross, forgive them. They know not what they do. Um, Stephen being stoned to death, uh, do not hold this sin against them. This is the attitude of forgiveness that though they have not asked for it, uh, we should be ready to give it. Now for the person who has wronged another person, okay, this is a very important distinction. And I think this can be helpful to think of it in this way. If you're the person that has wronged another person, there is no forgiveness unless you seek it. All right. So you, you can't, you know, if you're the one that that um, needs to seek forgiveness, you, you can't just expect that it's there just by having an attitude of it. You need to go to the person yeah. you've wronged and you need to seek their forgiveness. There is no forgiveness unless you do that. So from the attitude of the person who is the transgressor, you must seek out forgiveness. But from the standpoint of the one who's been wronged, you should always have an attitude of forgiveness, even if it has not been asked. Um, I think that is the model that we see in our Lord. That's the model that we see in the Deacon Stephen. And when you look at the um, the the spirits and, and the fruit of the spirit versus the deeds of the flesh, I think it's all it, it all is consistent with what the fruit of the spirit is. Um, because otherwise, we're harboring that uh, with us. We're we're holding a grudge. We're we're going to be guilty of partiality. We're going to be tempted to slander. We're going to be tempted to gossip. We're going to be tempted to all kinds of um, just ungodly behavior. Mm. And and the other example someone might bring is, well, what about imprecatory psalms? Isn't imprecatory psalms, you know, raining down judgment upon those who who stand against God? And, and indeed, they are. Um, and yet, what I would argue with imprecatory psalms is that. In our case, you know, we are now living in new new covenant times. Jesus Christ mm-hmm. has given us the, the commission to share the gospel. Our greatest desire, even for our greatest enemy, should be that they come to Christ. And so the yeah. imprecatory Psalms are fine as long as you recognize that, hey, this should only be for someone who does not come to Christ, even more than wanting judgment upon them. I want them to be saved. But if they're not going to be saved and they're going to continue to stand against you, then yes, Lord, bring about your wrath, bring about your vengeance. But I, I pray that even more than vengeance, that you would actually give them repentance. Um, and that, I, I believe, is the true attitude, the true Christ-like attitude that we should all have. Yeah, and, and it's interesting to talk about the the two people involved in this scenario, right? And I think, um, you know, the person who is the offender, if they're genuinely the offender, right? We'll get to perception yeah. in a moment. But if they're genuinely offender, I, I think you've got to realize that if that's you, not only are you in sin, but then you are providing a pathway for evil to work in yeah. the heart of the one you've offended. Yeah. Because that offense right, provides opportunity to hold on to bitterness. And so not only are you guilty of your own sin, but you're guilty of tempting your brother to sin. And yeah. so it's kind of like a, you know, a, a double whammy there. Um, but but it's important to realize that. I mean, you're failing in multiple areas. And then for the person who would say, well, I don't have to forgive until, you know, unless they ask, I think it is important to distinguish, right, an attitude yeah. of forgiveness. And what, what that does is it guards your own heart from ungodliness and bitterment, bitterness and resentment? Yeah, right, right, um, right. But because if you allow yourself, it it it's impossible, I think, to have the attitude of, well, I'm not going to forgive that person unless they ask me, and not give in to bitterness or resentment at some level that's sinful. Yeah. I don't think that's yeah. possible. <laughs> um, I I think you can not. Uh, I I think relationships aren't necessarily mended. Um, I don't think that there can be verbal forgiveness and trust rebuilt unless yeah. the person confesses and asks for forgiveness. 
Um, but you've got to let that go. And in those scenarios, it's, you know, the, the Lord deals with it, right? And, and you turn over to the Lord. When you talk about imprecatory Psalms, that's an interesting one. I've kind of, uh, over the years, went back and forth on, on that. And I think the conclusion that I've come to and the example that I really appreciate in Scripture is from Luke. Because the disciples went here very quickly. Yeah, um, yeah they did. Yeah. In Luke 9, um, the disciples, James and John, turned. They saw this and they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire down from heaven and consume them? But he, Jesus, turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you were of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy oh, men's yeah, lives, yeah. but to save them. Yeah. And I think that is the heart of the New Testament. So. I don't know that I believe there is a normal place for imprecatory psalms in the New Testament. Um, I I don't see that heart demonstrated. Um, That's not to say we don't want God. um, We don't want God's justice to be seen uh, where evil prevails and things like that. That's not what I mean by that. But I think as believers, our heart should be to see men saved, whether they're unbelievers or if they're believers, to see their hearts come back to truth. And I think if we jump to imprecatory psalms, I I think this is what we're doing, exactly what the apostles here, the the disciples here were doing, right? They went for the fire from heaven, and Jesus says, no, you don't understand what spirit you're of. Um, And so I think that's a good thing to to consider. Um, You know, it's interesting. We got, uh, uh, there's tons of scriptures that kind of give, the the heart mentality of you know not holding on to grudges and how we relate to one another Mm -hmm. um i'm in ephesians still and so you know they're all fresh in my mind but ephesians 432 i I mean just listen to this verse instead be kind to one another tender-hearted graciously forgiving one another Mm -hmm. just as god in christ also has forgiven you it's an interesting passage because the, the the clincher here, the motivation in the passage mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is that God and Christ has forgiven you. Yep. Therefore, do these other things. Graciously forgive. Therefore, be tenderhearted. Therefore, be kind to one another. And you just can't do that if you're always rehearsing a wrong um, that someone's done against you in your mind. It, it's impossible. Yeah. And, and um, you know, if you're holding a grudge until someone asks for forgiveness, um, then you know, I, I would also worry about whether you can actually truly from the heart give forgiveness when you've been harboring bitterness mm. for so long, right? Whereas if you have an attitude of forgiveness, um, I think you're putting yourself in a position to actually just rejoice with your fellow brother or sister when they come and ask for it. You've already given it and you're thankful now that uh, that that they've um, seen their part and have come to you and, and asked for it. And you know what? And there are times where um, I know from my own life, um, I, I believe I've been wronged. Um, and, uh, and, you know, fellow brother or sister in Christ, we, we talk it out, we work it out and they never actually asked me for forgiveness. I know in my heart, I've forgiven them. Um, but I'm just thankful that we're reconciled, right? We'll, we'll talk it out. We'll work things out. Um, we're, we're on the same page. Um, I, I know they want to glorify God. They want to glorify Christ. Was it an oversight on their part? I don't know. Maybe they felt that they didn't need to ask for forgiveness. I don't know. Um, but my my desire was unity. Uh, my my desire is unity and and for us to be together, and uh, and and so you know you just forget about and you just you just move on, and uh, and you know to, each person's going to have to stand before God in terms of how they walked, um, you, you know what what they did in obedience and in disobedience, and 
And I'm sure that when I stand before God, there's going to be a number of instances that are going to be brought up that I could have done a lot better. Places where I overlooked even my own transgression, I've probably done that many times. And so we want to be gracious and kind towards each other because we recognize that, look, the the, the battle against the flesh is ongoing. Um, and, and if you say that you are without sin, then you're deceiving yourself, mm-hmm. right? Um, but we're called to repent of it, um, but recognizing that we all have our shortcomings and in seeing our own shortcomings, it's just like Matthew 7 when it talks about, you know, why do you... Why do you complain about the speck that is in your brother's eye and do not see the log that is in your own? Um, you know, we want to be gracious, recognizing that, hey, you know, um, I'm looking at Matthew 6 and the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. I mean, in that case, it's similar to what you just read, but it's kind of flipped the other way where we're asking God to forgive us. But it is it presumes that we're forgiving others as well. So I, I think this is just you can't be a, a person of the gospel without having this kind of mindset towards uh, towards those who may wrong you in one way or another. Yeah, and I mean, the next verse in that Matthew is, but if you do not forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive our transgressions. Yep. Right, right. I, that's, it, you know, I mean, that's not that's not talking about salvation, right? Um, but that's, that's the standard. And it, it's interesting because I think one thing that our culture... Uh, our culture does to us in in our current day and age it sort of um makes us go overboard and swing the pendulum to the far the, the far side and so we've got you know uh big eva that's crying unity 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 and what yeah. they mean is uniformity um yeah. to doctrines that no christian can often uh align themselves with yeah but but we can't neglect the fact that the Bible commands and demands that the Christians seek genuine unity, right? Yeah. Um, and so we can't ignore that. I mean, Ephesians chapter four, the the whole first part is yep. that verse. Uh, yeah, I mean, well, Paul, um, let, let me just read the first couple of verses of that. I mean, I really want scripture to set in the minds of people when you're talking about this and you find yourself bringing up those things and you recognize you have a a grudge, you need to know what scripture has to say about these things and let that be what convicts you. Um, So Paul says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, by the way, Paul's writing this while he's in prison, right? Um, Implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. So there's an expectation. Yeah right mm-hmm. uh, of how we walk as christians there you can walk unworthily or you can walk in a manner worthy and then he goes on to say how, how describe that walk he says with all humility and gentleness with patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve mm-hmm. the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace you know and that has to be our goal and it's interesting because humility there and oftentimes in scripture it does carry with it the idea of not thinking of yourself as highly as you think of others. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and and so if that's going to be true, we've got to look at other people when they wrong us and we we're not ignoring the wrong. Uh, we acknowledge that, um, it, you know, if we're going to be biblical, you actually have no right to, to even repeat that over and in, in your mind, unless you've gone yeah. and talked with them first. Right. Um, so if you haven't talked to the person that you're offended by, then y- you're just in all kinds of wrong. Um, and, and it may have been just a simple understanding. 
misunderstanding rather. Um, and so we've got to go through this, but this is, should be the heart of the Christian is, is for there to be unity. And sometimes like Stephen, it means you're going to be the one that suffers, you know? Um, and I, we don't like that as humans, right? We want revenge. Um, we, we want people to pay for their wrongs and there's a general sense. Uh, well, look, no one's going to get away with sin. Nobody, no one's going to get away with sin. Um, everyone will, will have sin paid for those in Christ. Yeah. Our sins have been paid, paid for by cross. Christ, yeah. mm-hmm. right? And even here, uh, as a believer, we still may pay, um, you know, for sin in, in earthly ways. Uh, yeah. we're, we're not, you know, we're not, um, sheltered from consequences of sin just because we're in Christ. Right. It's just that they have been paid for and we're no longer penalized eternally for those. Um, yeah, we, we, we can be, yeah, we can be chastened, uh, by God, the father, um, for, um, for our disobedience, uh, ways in which we have failed. Um, but just to piggyback on the importance of unity, um, it's, you know, Paul, the book of Ephesians, first three chapters, theological, last three chapters, applicational, uh, but the central commandment, everything that falls under application falls under that opening command to walk in a manner worthy of the calling by which you've been called. And the first place he goes to is unity, right? And same with um, the letter to the Philippians. When you go to the letter yeah. of the Philippians, the first chapter, the very first commandment is to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And what does he stress right after that? Unity. In fact, that leads right into chapter two, where Paul, who has been rejoicing over and over again all throughout chapter one, because the gospel is spreading and that people are sharing Christ, he says, make my joy complete. And how how is it that you make his joy complete? By being of the same mind, the same spirit. Um, being united. Um, the book of First Corinthians and First Corinthians is filled with all kinds of issues of carnality. Um, people that are still walking very much like the world, living like pagans, um, doing all kinds of uh, fleshly things that they shouldn't be doing. And yet, what's the very first issue that Paul addresses right from chapter one? It's their division and their lack of unity. Um, I've been teaching through John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer. And in John chapter 17, the first five verses, Jesus prays for himself. The last six verses, he prays for all future disciples. But in the middle, um, from verse 6 all the way to verse 19, he's praying for his current disciples. And when you read through that section, you only find two actual requests. In that prayer, there's only two actual requests. The first one comes in verse 11, when he says, Holy Father, keep them in your name. And of course, if you've done a study on the name of God, it's not just a label. The name of God is talking about his characteristics, his attributes, and by keeping them in the name of God, that is a uh, a request from God the Son to God the Father to preserve those who are his, Um, to preserve them in the faith, to keep them in the name is to keep them uh, believing in the true God, believing the truth about God. So say, keep them in your name, the name which you have given me. And then he says that, and, and this word for that in the Greek, this is hina, um, we as seminary students will refer to this as a hint clause. It gives us the purpose. Okay, so the, the first request that Jesus Christ has for his current disciples, and, and I would argue by extension, this includes all of us, but keep them in your name, the name which you have given me, for this purpose, that they may be one, even as we are one. So the most important reason, so the very the, the primary reason that Jesus Christ puts right there before us to, to be kept in the name of God, to be pr- preserved 
in in the truth, to be preserved in the truth about who God is, to be worshipers or worshipers of God. Um, that the primary purpose he he labels that he lists is that they may be one, even mm-hmm. as we are one. And and that is a oneness in what we believe, and by implication, that is a oneness in terms of of how we behave towards one another. So very, very important uh, prayer request from our Lord, and we see it over and over again in the epistles, in the writings, um, the the um, the priority we see over and over again from the Apostle Paul. Um, and and again, why are we focusing on unity? Because when you bear a grudge, um, you are introducing division, not only in your heart, but in your actions, and it just doesn't play well in the body of Christ. Yeah, I mean, Colossians 3 is another one. I mean, Paul starts uh, the same way, talking about putting on humility and being kind to one another and gracious to one another. And then somewhere in the middle there in the first few verses, uh, he talks about putting on love, right, which promotes unity. Um, and so, yeah. And and I think, it, you know, this is an important topic because, again, I, I believe our culture is increasingly becoming one that thrives on any and every little division that can be found, Definitely. right? Um, and it, you know, and so within the church, we're not unfortunately we're, we're not sheltered from being influenced from the world. I mean, we have to be in the world uh, to be able to evangelize the world, and so we've got to guard against those influences. And there'll be doctrinal differences and things that we uh, disagree with. I mean, there'll even be things that we you know severely disagree with. Um, and, and we've got to be able to walk away from those things without holding grudges against one another. Now, there might be things that mean, you know what, we 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 just can't work side by side in ministry together. Yeah, there might yeah. be things that separate us at the at the local church level. Um, it, you know, and, and but still, we've got to walk away with not holding on any bitterness or resentment. Um, towards those people. And we can't confuse those things, right? Not having resentment or bitterness, not holding on to a grudge doesn't mean, you know, you're hanging out with the person all the time and they're your best friend. And, yeah, you, right. you know, that's that's not what we're talking about. But I do think this is one of the very subtle ways that the enemy creeps into the church, right? right. Um, and, and you can see this in, I mean, every pastor can see when this kind of thing is happening, because there's always fruit of holding on to a grudge. There's always fruit, right? And it starts oftentimes with backbiting or yeah. with gossip, right? So can you believe so-and-so did this about me? I can't believe so-and-so said that, you know, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. And, and I mean, that's how the devil very cleverly gets into the church um, and starts creating unnecessary divisions. Whereas if, you know, you're offended and you follow the biblical example, you go talk to the person. Yeah. Uh, and, and we've just, we've got to create a culture where we're, where we do that again. I mean, that's a command. That is not a suggestion for the believer. This is how we deal with things. Um, I, I know the world doesn't do that anymore. Uh, you've got people who melt down if you just ask them a question, but the church ought not to be that way. Um, yeah. You know, we, we've got to be able to work through those things. And, you know, if you don't know how to do it, then go ask your elders for help. I mean, that's why they're there. Um, it, it's not a petty thing. It's not uh, so little. It's not worth their time. On the contrary, right? These are the little things that really can destroy um, a, a church if they go, if they left, if they're left uh, for long enough. I mean, you hear stories 
right, um, about this kind of thing left over years and years and years and uh, after a pastor or two. And then finally, you know, there's a big breaking point and you find out that, you know, this whole thing started over something that happened eight years ago uh, yeah. and it just never got right. addressed. And so there's been all this stuff that's uh, that's come out of it. So I, I think it's a big deal in the church uh, today, especially in our culture. Um, you know, we're just trying to be sensitive to uh, the schemes of the, the enemy that we see in our right. culture today. So you be know, thinking me, about it. Yeah. And, and let me let me add this, because I, I think you added a helpful definition to grudge, which was um, what is perceived. Right. Mm. And and I think this um, I'd like to address another attitude that we as Christians ought, ought to have. And, and that is thinking the best of one another, right? Um, because oftentimes what we do is something happens and we read intent behind the action that may or may not have been there, right? Now, if we see an actual sin, that that's, hey, it's, it's clear, um, you know, we've gone to talk, even gone to talk to the person, we've even verified it, um, then that's one thing. But it's another thing to start reading sins into people's hearts that may not have been there. You know, someone may have um, appeared to ignore me. Um, but maybe they didn't really ignore me, but maybe they had a bad day or maybe they were really worried about a sick relative um, or maybe they were just uh, tunnel vision at that, that moment uh, seeking out a specific person. I, I know this can happen because it happens to me where someone has to uh, reach out to me and, and and address me a couple of times before I recognize that someone is actually trying to call out to me um, because I'm so focused on whatever task I'm, I'm trying to move towards. And and so I, I've seen so many cases where a person will um, harbor a grudge because they thought that they were being mistreated or they thought they were being ignored when in actuality, that was never the intent uh, to begin with. So having an attitude where we think the best of the other person um, is going to be very, um, I think, beneficial to us um, because we're we're not going to fall into the trap of reading a sin in there that was never there to begin with. And if there is sin there, then we should be, um, you know, we, we should be uh, people of integrity and, uh, and and be willing to actually talk to the individual and say, hey, this happened, and and it seems like it happened because of this, um, and and start to clear it all up. You know, even here within the body of Christ, uh, me and uh, we have um, fellow workers in, in Christ here, a family pastor here, David Duran, his wife Beth Duran. You know, we had a Resurrection Sunday, Easter um, went really well. We had a breakfast that morning, went really well, um, but there were some misunderstandings that happened along the way, and it was great to see. Uh, my wife and his wife get together and, and talk it out and and really um, hammer through what happened and uh, and 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 work it out. But it, those things don't happen unless there's communication, right? And uh, and so having that attitude where you just think the best of the other person and give the other person a chance to be able to speak. You know, we I, I often refer to Proverbs eighteen seventeen, right? When it comes to counseling, um, if there are two sides of the story, you don't want to take a position after you've only heard one side. Because you hear one side, you're convinced of it. Then you hear the other side and you're, you realize, oh, I didn't hear the whole story, right? Uh, there's another side to this. And if, if that's the case, and, and oftentimes I don't believe that people, when they give me one side, they're not necessarily trying to slight the other side. They're giving me the side that they perceive as the truth. And then the other side is yeah. giving me the side that they perceive as true. And when you recognize that that's what people typically do, we have to see that in our own hearts. You know, we see something happen and we're portraying what we think is true, but we also have to recognize there's another side that we may not know. And uh, and so having that kind of attitude uh, and starts with humility, recognizing that we are not omniscient, 
Um, we don't see with perfect clarity. And in fact, um, while I once prided myself in being able to read situations, I recognize that itself was a form of pride that would get me into trouble because sometimes I would misread situations. So it's a lot better just to not presume more than what I should and to go and try to clarify as much as I can. Yeah, that's why I have adopted the view that there are three sides to every story. Side right. A, side B, side and the B truth. And the truth. Yep. That's right. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I think, look, if we're honest, we can we can all probably think of scenarios where we misjudge someone else and we discovered that, right? Yeah. Um, and, and so we know what that feels like. And, and so we ought to be uh, cautious and not wanting to, you know, do that to other uh, to other people. So, but I I think it all all of this really I think two major things which are which are both heart issues heart motivations one it's to see christ and god glorified in our life and in our walk right such that we're careful uh and two is to really desire the body to be unified yeah. um I, I don't you know i don't know if we think about that as much as we ought to um and, and i think oftentimes like we mentioned earlier sort of uh hearing unity um you know, unity that trumps truth promoted on one side all the time sort of makes us hear unity. And then we cover our ears because we're like, no, yeah, no, that's, yeah. um, but, but no, we're talking about unity centered on truth. Right. Um, and so we've got to work with each other and give each other the benefit of, of the doubt. And sometimes just to realize the world doesn't revolve around you. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've important. got friends. Yeah. I've got friends who um, sometimes I have to text them three, four times. I have to email them multiple times. Um, and, it, you know, I'm thinking of one person in particular. I'm going to tell you who it is. But uh, at, at the beginning, you know, when we were first kind of developing that relationship, I would send them a te uh, a, an email or text or whatever, and I wouldn't hear anything for like a month. Um, and, and then I would just think, I don't know. I mean, is did, did I offend them? You know, is he you know, ignoring my texts. And I mean, that's yeah. as far as it went for me. And, and hmm. I just kind of moved on. But um, but I definitely had the thoughts of, oh, I wonder why he's not answering my email. And so I see him at one stage um, and and I ask and and his response is, oh, brother, I'm so sorry. I, I get hundreds and hundreds literally of emails mm -hmm. often mm -hmm. in a day. Mm -hmm. And I, I just I just don't see them all. Yeah. Um, and I thought, okay. And so he's like, no, no, send me, you know, send me a text. You might have to send me three or four, um, <laughs> you know? And so that's just how it is yeah. sometimes, but you, yeah. we've got to assume something. I would rather assume something like that than, oh, well, you know, he, he lied. He doesn't really want to communicate with me or, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, yeah. and I'm that way sometimes I, I, if you, I I've got occasionally on Twitter and you'll see this too, right? The same thing, just a, a, a real life example. People will respond every now and then and say, oh, well, why didn't you comment on my comment? Why didn't you comment on my tweet? Well, mm. I'm like, I'm sorry. It, you know, I don't I don't even have a large account. And so I'm like, man, the guys who have real accounts, yeah. um, how do they keep up with anything? Because mine's not that big and I just don't see most messages. Right. Yeah, right. You, right. You, you tweet something out. You've got 100 people or, you know. 10 people commenting on five or six tweets you've done. So you've got 50, yeah. 60 things going on. Man, I just, I just missed it. I'm sorry. You know, mm -hmm. that's all it was. 
it wasn't because I was ignoring you or because I didn't want to respond. Um, you know, I don't respond to trolls as that much, but, um, you know, if you're one of the guys who are engaging in, in goodwill and, and that's kind of been your history, Robert just didn't see it, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. And, 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 and so, even tech, technically speaking, Twitter notifications, um, I think have been a little wonky recently, mm-hmm. um, because if I, if I go back and, and look at what I've tweeted and start going through the comments, I'll start to run into comments like, oh, I didn't see this in the notifications. And, and it's usually like, 40 or 50% of the comments that are made, I don't, don't come up in notifications for whatever reason. Um, so yeah, that, that, that happens too. And, uh, you don't want to attribute, um, something to a fellow brother or sister in Christ when quite honestly, they just didn't see it. And sometimes I'll leave a comment for someone and they don't respond to it until a few months later. And I know what happened. They just didn't see it in the notifications. Yeah. And then they just went back and, and they happened to revisit it. And then suddenly they saw it and then they liked it or they responded back to it. Um, whatever the case may be. But you know what? I, I wanted to just remind everyone the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5. Mm-hmm. When we look at the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians 5, and we we did a series on this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And when I think about each of those elements, and and John MacArthur, when he preached this passage, he made a very good argument that this is not a bunch of different fruits. This is all one fruit, and it all because fruit here is singular; it's not plural. And it you either have all of it or you have none of it, right? So so he made an all or nothing kind of argument, which which I think is worth considering. But even if you want to break this up. I think there's a commonality that you see throughout each of these fruits, each of these characteristics that don't go along very well or not very complementary to the idea of holding a grudge. Um, I, I think it violates um, I think it violates your joy. I think it 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 breaks peace. it it makes you less kind. Um, there's goodness and faithfulness that's not there. gentleness it's it's going to be uh, it, you're, you're going to be tempted to be more harsh and, and all those kinds of things. So when I think about the fruit of the spirit and, and what we want to do to cultivate the fruit of the spirit by walking with Christ, um, bearing a grudge, just, it just doesn't make sense. And MacArthur's a good example of someone who doesn't bear a grudge. Right. I, I right. mean, you look at the vitriol that uh, yeah. he gets in these ministries and, you know, occasionally he'll make comments about, you know, he just doesn't worry about it because, you yeah. know, whatever. But speaking of MacArthur, I, I've got a quote that goes along with what you're saying from him pulled up. Let me just read that. He says, on the other hand, a person who constantly focuses on the negatives, faults, shortcomings, and slights of others mm-hmm. is a person not controlled by the Holy Spirit and perhaps an unbeliever. Bitterness, resentment, a critical spirit holding grudges and the like are works of the flesh, not of the spirit. And then he goes on in another quote to say, the meek person has died to self. He never worries about his own injuries. He bears no grudges. Amen. Amen. So with that, we hope that this has been helpful for you guys. Um, Again, these are just things that they're good heart checks, right? Uh, Things for us to sit back and, consider we want to live holy lives you know we want our neighbors to see something of christ in us we want um the outside to look at the church and see that we don't function like they do we don't treat one another like they treat one another we don't um deal with 
problems and disagreements the same way they deal with problems and disagreements. And it just takes humility, right? Mm -hmm. Sucking up our pride and letting it go and working with one another. So hope that this has been helpful for you. Just a couple reminders. um, If these podcasts have been helpful to you, we'd love to uh, get your feedback. Feel free to send us an email. You can do that. The email's in the show notes. Um, Continue to check out our YouTube page. It's under the same name, Truth Be Known, again, in the show notes. Share that around if it's been helpful. And if you want, you can get really cool mugs like this. I don't know if you can see that, if it's the right way. I can see that. Yep. But it says, truth be known, trolls be triggered. Anyway, sometimes it's my favorite mug. We love people, but don't feed the trolls. Anyway, and we love you guys. We hope that God um, is working in your life through the podcast. That's really why we do this. And hopefully we all grow together. So until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.